Can I get my uh, monitor? Okay. Thank you, because i got to dive right into it. All right, so thank you for the clock, guys, in the back, and welcome. And if you have been going here for any length of time, then you know that since we started looking at the parables in Luke, we're going through Luke, since we started looking at the parables in Luke, which was what, maybe a year and some ago, that God has been giving us, that God has been giving us a theme that has overarched everything we've done since then. And that is this. We really don't get it. We think we understand Christianity. We think we understand a relationship with the Lord. We really believe that we're living out that relationship in a good way. Can you guys just a little bit down on the brights? Um, but the point is, is that we really don't actually get it. And, and what we're discovering in all this time is, is that the issue is a difference not in just degree. It's not like I can just live my life a little better. I can sacrifice a little more. I can do a little more. If I just add a little bit, I'm going to be in a better place, which of course you will. But the issue that he's been showing us is, is that this thing that he's talking about not getting it actually turns out to be you're not even in the right baseball field. You, we think that we're in the right field, this one that we're in, that we all live in, and that we interact with the world and our lives and everything else, and we think that that is where we're supposed to be. But in the parables and everything else that Jesus has been doing now for over a year, the Holy Spirit with us, he's been showing us that, no, it's not a difference in degree, it's a difference in kind. And that there isn't any way that you can get from that field to that field yourself. You cannot get there. What he's been showing us over and over is, you think you're good on this, but here's what's really going on. It's like the Sermon on the Mount, right? You say that if you do this, then it's bad for you this way. I'm telling you, if you do this, it's all over the place. See what I mean? So this is what he's been doing with us now for about a year, and today we're going to see an example of this in the extreme. We're going to see one of the most ridiculous things Ever in all of scripture that, that is being told the disciples and they do not get it. It's almost incomprehensible as to why they don't get it. Now, having said that though, let me just back up for a little bit because when I start talking about the disciples, I want to note something. We have been watching the disciples. We've been going through Luke and watching the disciples and their journey. Because what we've been doing is we've been saying, how did God take 12, and let's forget about the one, Okay, but let me just say 12. But how did God take these disciples who were ordinary people? There is no indication about any of these people that any of them were anything special at all. They were just you and I. They weren't, very, they weren't really smart or really rich or really prominent or really intellectual or whatever. All they were was just people, fishermen, right? Which would be laborer, right? They were doing just very common normal good work, good hand work, good, there's nothing wrong with it, but they were very ordinary people. And yet, if you just think about it for a second, God took these 12 ordinary people and he did something with them in three and a half years. He's with them for three and a half years. And then for the next decades of their lives, they changed the entire world ultimately. These disciples are arguably some of the most important people that have ever lived in the history of the world. These ordinary people change the world. In fact, think about it this way. If you add Jesus to the list, because he was born a human and he was human, right? He certainly steps at the, he's, he's always going to be at the top of any list of the most important people that have ever lived by any measure. It doesn't matter if you're Christian or not. If you just look at it objectively and you say, who's affected the most lives, changed the world the most, in a positive way, it's Jesus right? And then you add in Paul, who was a disciple, yes, out of time, because he wasn't a disciple before Jesus died, but he did see the risen Lord, and he did, he did what your disciple does, right? So you put Jesus and Paul, and then you add in, say, Peter and then John in that order. You might have right there the four people in the whole of human history that did more than any other four people. They might be the top four people. Now, you could argue that a little bit with me, and you might want to put a Buddha or a Muhammad or somebody in that mix of four. But the bottom line is, is when you take the top six, they're four of the top six. 
and three of whom were just people. I mean, Paul maybe had a little something more because he was a Pharisee and he was so zealous and all that. So at least two of them were, were truly us. Nothing special. And yet what God did with their lives is unparalleled the way that he changed them. So what we've been doing is we've been watching Luke to say, how the heck did God do that, <laughs> right? And we've been watching this journey that they're on, and we've been seeing how he did it. In fact, the reason why we're seeing how he did it is because we're doing this journey with an understanding that God's doing the same thing with us as he did with them. So as they're going through it, as we're following them in the story, we're expecting God to do the same thing in us, and he's been doing that to an extraordinary degree. In fact, I just want to make something clear. I've been a Christian, I don't know how long now, but I, I think maybe I'm coming right on to 40 years. And, and obviously going from a non-Christian to a Christian was a pretty life-changing event for me. But I have to say, I, I have never done a study of Scripture that has changed my life more than Luke has. This has been the most impactful the most revelational, the most insightful. I have learned how to understand God infinitely better than I ever did before. I have learned how to understand myself infinitely better than I ever have before. God has changed me incredibly in this, through this series. But here's also a truth. If I had to say how much of what God has been trying to do have I actually embraced and done, become, right? Not just doing, but actually becoming. I think maybe, let's be realistic. Am, am I at 20%? I know myself. I think that that's being a little generous in some areas. I could take some other areas and I could say, maybe in an area or two, I might hit 30. <laughs> and maybe, you know, if I just hit like a couple of little areas, I might have even gotten all the way up to 40%. But honestly, I cannot in good conscience say to you that as impactful as this has been, that I have grasped and become more than 40% in any area of anything that he's done in the average is somewhere much lower than that. And frankly, that grieves the heck out of me. Just drives me crazy. I'm just like, what the heck? <laughs> How could he be doing such magnificent things and me not changing, me not transforming, me not becoming like the disciples did? How the heck is that happening? And I want to tell you, it's a really simple reason why. Did anybody ever see The Jerk? I do not recommend you see The Jerk because there's bad things in The Jerk. Okay? But you remember when there's this one scene in The Jerk where Steve Martin has lost everything and, he, and he's saying, I don't need anything. I don't need anything at all. I don't need anything except that lamp. That's a nice lamp. And boy, I don't need anything, but that's a, I need that chair. And, then he, and by the time he gets out the house, he's carrying these things that he needs, right? So it's a very funny scene about how we are. And I want to say that the reason why I'm not transforming is because of what I'm holding on to. I got a grip on some things, right? And I'm holding on to them and they're stopping me from changing and that's killing me because I know better. <laughs> I don't believe in those, those things. I believe in him and I believe he's the one that transformed me and why can't I get past these things that I want to hold on to? It's driving me crazy. It's just impacting me in a very negative way. And, and let me say something just for the heck of it. I'm not patting myself on the back at all when I say this, but I just want us to see it. I think if we're grading on the curve, I'm doing pretty good. Okay, you look at the whole of my life, my resume's not so bad. I've given away literally millions of dollars, given it away. I've, 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 been, I've given so many different kinds of things, resources and so on. I've given tons. I've given my life. There are so many things else that I could have done and wanted to do. But this is the thing that he called me to and what I was excited about. And I gladly put those things behind. And I went after the thing that God had called me to. And I've been pursuing that ever since with everything I've got. And I think and I hope that maybe there's a few people that it actually impacted. Right? I mean, not bad. Really, if you add the resume up, it's not bad. And yet, we're calling a victory 20%. I'm able to call that a victory and I'm not, because I know that God can do something that I cannot. I'm in this field, 
but I want to be in that field, and I know I can't get there, but I know what I got to do in order to get there. And that is to do everything that I can, but to understand that only God can get me there and to come to him and say, please get me there. <laughs> I don't know any other way to do this. I've tried every other way. It didn't work. And where I am right now is I'm saying, I want to be there, and I don't care what you have to do to me. Get me there. Because this is the life that I want to live. This is the glorious life. This is the one that I know about in every fiber of my being because I have tasted so much of it that I have come to know how much better it is than anything else that I greedily hold on to. Right? So we're going to do something right now. At this point in time in the sermon, at this place, we would pray that God would bring this home to us. And we're going to pray this time, but instead of having somebody else pray, and if you ask somebody, Ken, I'm so sorry, I'm going to have you pray next time. And boy, is it great having you here. This is wonderful. I'm loving. But I'm, I'm, I should have told you, VJ, I forgot. But I'm going to pray this time, and here's why. Is I'm going to extend this prayer time a little bit this, today, and I'm asking everybody to do something. And I really mean this with all my heart. I want everybody to close their eyes and not pay any attention to what anybody else in this building does. This is between you and the Lord right now. If you are here and you don't know the Lord, just hang in there for a couple seconds. You'll love everything else that happens. You'll even love this. Okay? And if you're not feeling it, don't do it. But if you are feeling what I was saying, if you're saying, yeah, there is something in what he's saying about I'm holding on to something and I'm in the wrong field and God wants to take me in and he's the only one that can and I want to get to that other place. If you believe that, if that's something that you want, then I'm going to ask you during this prayer to stand up. And I'm not going to open my eyes. If you're on the video right now, I'm asking you, please do not look at the video when we're doing this. I don't want to embarrass anybody. If you don't feel like you should be standing up, do not. Be, this is between you and the Lord. Get this right between him and you, right? But if you do feel like this is something that you want, then I'm asking you to stand up during the time that I'm praying, and I'll tell you when to sit back down again because that's when we'll pray for another church, okay? You get it? So can we all just treat each other with, re with respect and not embarrass anybody and so on? So just close your eyes right now. Lord, in Jesus' name. Now, when you're ready, you stand up. Lord, in Jesus' name, we come before you with something that is incredibly important. We can taste it, we can see it, we can feel it. We, we, we don't get it in truth and in fullness, but in Jesus' holy and precious name, we know that you can get us there. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, what we are doing is we're standing up and we're saying, get me there. God, I'd ask you to do that in every single person in this room, whether they're standing or not. But Lord, I'm asking you, for those who stood up, they're saying to you, I don't know how to get there, but you do, so take me there, get me there. In Jesus' most magnificent and incredible name, we stand before you and we say to you, you do what only you can do. We will do what you ask us to do to the degree we can, and we ask you for help even in that. But in Jesus' name, God, we ask you. Here, we're standing up to be counted, to have our names recorded, that this is what we're asking you to do, and we remind ourselves of it. That as you do what you're doing, we will not bolt or freak out, but instead we will engage what you're doing to get us to an entirely different field. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you do this. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, you can go ahead and sit down now. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, we come before your throne right now and we pray that this would be the heartbeat of every church, that they would bleed with a desire to not just get it better by incremental degrees but to be transformed by the miracle working power of God let this message go forth fully in Jesus holy and precious name amen so two weeks ago in this incredible way that the Lord's by the way let me say one last thing just before I move on one of the reasons why this is so critical to me right now is do you realize that in terms of the story of Luke that we're in, it'll take us still months to get through, but do you realize that we're now down to like the last week? 
We're not quite in the Passion Week. That starts on Sunday, goes to Friday for crucifixion, and then Sunday. That's the Passion Week. So we're just outside of that. But to his crucifixion, we're right. We, can, we don't know for sure where we are, but we're right in that window of about seven days away. So what I'm saying is, is the disciples didn't know that this was coming to an end, despite his best efforts to make them know it. They didn't know it. But we do. And I want to say that this thing that I want to do is we're about to end this discipleship process that God has been doing with us for years, and I don't want to come to the end of it and still be at 40%. Right? I want to get to the end of it and be transformed, made new, yet again. Okay? So in that, in that regard, here's what happens. Mike Hatch, in this incredible way that God's doing sermons here, where each sermon leads to the next, leads to the next, and you can take out Easter. It was, I think it was great, and you can listen to it. But Mike Hatch talked about, in our Luke series, he talked about the rich young ruler. And this is a guy who had a lot of money, a lot of responsibility, a lot of everything. And what happened was, is that he comes to Jesus and he says, I want to be your follower. I want to follow you. And Jesus says, that's fantastic. All you got to do is sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And he freaks out. He just can't take it. He's sad. And he walks away brokenhearted because he can't do that. Now, does that sound like the gripping, the grasping that we've been talking about? So you see the message and the, and the parallel. You see the connection. Now watch. Here's how it goes. After he gets done with that, then what happens is... Um, when Jesus saw this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Does this sound like something only God can do? Because God clear that it is. You may have heard sermons about camels and unburdening camels. No, he's talking about a miracle. He's talking about what only God can do. And he's saying, uh, those who have heard this, uh, no, sorry, it's easier for, and those who heard this said, then who can be saved? And then Jesus said, what is impossible for people is possible with God. You see it right here. Right at the very end, he's telling them, there are things that I want to do with you that you cannot do. You may think you can. You may think you are. But I'm telling you to do it real, for real, the way that I'm doing it, you can't. And you need me to do it. You need me to be coming to you like that. And so then he goes on and says, Peter says, we've left our homes to follow you. Yes, Jesus replied. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. Now let me just say something about that, okay? That eternal life in the world to come is like eternally. Okay? So that's like much huger than anything you get in this world. But since it's this world that I'm having my problem with, let me, take, let me take that part out and just go repaid many times over in this life. Does that sound like a reasonable thing? See, right there I ought to be able to say, wow, now I'm holding on to some things. Jesus has promised me that if I will let those, hold those things loosely and let them be whatever he wants them to be in my hands, it doesn't mean you always have to give everything away. Do not misunderstand this. What it means is you just need to make sure that God owns whatever he's given you. You may have stewardship over it, but you're to do whatever he leads you to do with it. That's all, right? And whatever he wants to do, no matter what it means to you, you do it. Because he knows better and he knows what it is and that's why he's doing this, okay? Uh, the degree to which I believe that the Lord has given prosperity in order to bless the prosperous is unbelievable. Now, the way that we take that is we mean, if I'm prosperous, I've been blessed by God to be prosperous. No, what it means is the pros he wants to give prosperity to people so that they can give it away because of the multiplication that that brings to everybody. This is what he's trying to do, okay? Having said that, what I want, you, what I want to get a hold of is, is just in this life. So it's a good deal, <laughs> Right? If I can't get it right on other levels, at least I can get something right. The deal he's offering me is good. If you give this up, I'll bring it back to you a hundredfold, basically. Right? Okay. Now, remember I said that we're going, where, where we are, see where that flag is? We're just on the other side of that flag. That last red line there is the Passion Week. Okay? And then we go to the other side of that line. We're on the other side of the Jordan now, I think. And, and if you take that and measure it by miles, you're about eh, 22, 24 miles away. Uh, with modern roads between those two cities right now, it's less than a 40-minute drive. 
In fact, if you walk three miles an hour, which is the average walking speed, you could easily walk this distance in one day. It might take you eight, maybe nine hours if you stop for lunch, right? Okay? So this is how close we're going. But what we're really trying to note is what I did a second ago, and that is that we're one week away. Okay? We're seven days. It'd be, well, let me show you. This is what he does. This is what he says to him. Now watch this. Then taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus said, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of all the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. This, by the way, is hundreds of predictions whose probability of being fulfilled by any other person in all of human history is trillions upon trillions upon trillions upon trillions. It just, it's incomprehensible that these, all these predictions were fulfilled, and all of them were. And there's never been anybody else that's even come close. But now watch what he says. He will be, I will be, handed over to the Romans, and he will be mocked, treated shamefully, and spit upon. They will flog him with a whip and kill him. But on the third day, he'll rise again. Now, he's saying this before it's happened. And tell me how he could have said that more succinctly. Because I don't think you could use fewer words to communicate the thought. And I don't believe there's any vagueness in there whatsoever, is there? I mean, is there any degree whatsoever of, hmm, you know, I'm a little confused on what that might mean. <laughs> Here's what it means. He's going to be delivered, mocked, beaten, killed, and then rise again. Now, let's just do something here. Just because I really want us to see something about us as human beings and about something that the God does. So let's take out the third day right now. We're coming back to it, but let's take the third day raising again part out. Here's what's happening. Last Sunday was Easter. If I stood up in this church and I told you, in seven days I am going to be arrested, persecuted, beaten, and killed. In seven days. Is there anybody in here that would remember that a week later? Do you think you would? You know, I'm hoping that maybe like a few people would like, you know, gather around and try and help that not happen. Right? And even if I said, and even if I said, please don't do that for whatever reason I did, which Peter did say, Jesus did say to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. You want what Satan wants, not what you want about this very fact. But the bottom line is, even if I said that, when the seven days happened, would you remember that I said that last Sunday? I mean, doesn't that kind of stand out? <laughs> Not everybody walks around going, hey, I'm going to be beaten and die in a week, and you're going to forget all about it. <laughs> Even when it happens, you're not going to remember it? This is, this is unbelievable. But actually, let me make it worse, how bad it is. You do realize this is not the first time Jesus said this. The first time was way back in Luke 9. We're in 18 now. Luke 9 was like, in Luke, it was, you know, nine chapters. In our time frame, it was like, I think, 15 years ago now. So, the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day, he'll be raised again from the dead. Anybody unclear on that statement? Any vagueness there? Any wiggle room? That's the first time he said it. Now he says it again. Leaving that region, they traveled on through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there, for he wanted to spend more time with the disciples and to teach them. And he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed. But three days later, he will rise from the dead. And then he says it again the third time, right, that we just looked at. So three times he said that this is going to happen. And yet when it happens... They're all like, oh, what a surprise. <laughs> what the heck? You know what? We're not done with making how bad this really is. So let's, let's go to another area, okay? You do realize that the night before he died, he said this thing to them. He's, he's doing the Last Supper with them. He's told them it's the Last Supper. He's literally said, my Last Supper with you, right? Well, what's that mean? Okay? And then he says, and then he does communion, the first one, he says, mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, I get that that's a little more vague, 
All right, what is exactly does that mean and so on. But here's the deal. They heard him saying something like this the night before he dies. And when he dies, isn't there somebody that says, shouldn't somebody say, gee, I remember him saying last night something about it being the last time, and now he's dying. And oh yeah, that reminds me that a week ago he said that he was going to die. So <laughs> somewhere, somewhere somebody remembers this somehow. Now let's make it even worse. Because on the third day he'll rise again. Three times he said it. Here he's saying it a week before, I'm going to rise again. Now, you realize he said this on the seven days before, and then he said that wine thing. And then what happens is, is we go through, you know, Saturday essentially, and they count their days from the evenings, but, but we go through Saturday, and we get to Sunday morning when he rises again, right? Now, when he rises again, shouldn't somebody remember that he told them that was going to happen? During the time that he dies, look, maybe when he dies, you're like so freaked out that this guy you've given everything up for and you've been following has now suddenly been taken like a common criminal, beaten, put on a cross, and dies. You may be so freaked out that you just lose it for a while, right? But don't you think that after 24 hours or 36 or so, you might be thinking, oh yeah, he said that was going to happen? Don't you think it would come back to you at some point in time? In fact, it's worse than that. Because what happens on that morning is, they see that it's empty tomb. They go back. They tell John and Peter. John and Peter run there. So Peter went out with the other disciple. John always refers to himself as the other disciple. One of the reasons I love John so much. And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them running together. The other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there and did not go in. Linen clothes still bound. He saw them just, they were emptied, but they weren't undone. He didn't, somebody didn't climb out of them. They just were there. And so he's going, what? And so Simon Peter comes and follows him, goes into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, John, who had reached a term first, he went in and he saw and he believed. He believed what? That Jesus had risen again, right? Because now he finally gets it. No, that's not what he believed. He just believed that he was gone. <laughs> They'd been told he wasn't there, and now he believes he's not there, and we know that because he said, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Forget the scripture. What about what Jesus said? <laughs> Why, when he rises again, doesn't somebody go, oh, yeah, he said that a week ago, or now, you know, 10 days. You see it? it no, nah, it's worse than that even, because here's what happens. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and she wept, and she stopped and looked in, and she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head, the other at the foot of the place where Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied. I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus. Now watch. We're having this issue, right, about people not getting it. That's the theme. Not getting it, even though it's right there happening. They should be getting it, but they're not getting it. She doesn't get it. <laughs> Look, she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you put him and I'll go get him. Mary. Then she turns and cries out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Now, apparently what she's done is she's gone and hugged him, <laughs> right? You know, Rabboni, and she goes and she hugs him. And he says, don't cling to me. I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now look what Mary does. She goes and finds the disciples and tells them, I've seen the Lord. Surely at this point in time, somebody remembers that just a little while ago, for the third time that Jesus has said, I'm going to rise again. Right? Surely they're home now. And yet that evening, this happens Sunday morning, and Sunday night, where are they? That Sunday evening, they're meeting behind locked doors because they're afraid of the Jewish leaders. <laughs> and then suddenly Jesus appears. And they're startled. What? <laughs> huh? The locked doors is a big thing, but just, he's, he really is risen? They're startled. 
It really is me. Here, let's eat. Let's eat, right? Okay? You got it? And he's standing there. He says, peace be with you. I think we have to answer this question. What the heck is going on that not one of them remembered what he had said and told the others about it? We have to answer that question. In fact, we can. When Jesus tells them that he's going to die, here's, here's what Luke reports. But they didn't understand any of this. The significance of his words was hidden from them, and they failed to grasp what he was talking about. Let's focus in on what word? Hidden. It was hidden from them. Can we understand what that means by looking at other places in Scripture and finding a place where something seems to have been hidden from somebody? Are there other places in Scripture? It turns out there's two magnificent ones, several others, but there's two that are really strong. One of them starts in Romans 10. Romans 1 through 9 is Jesus explain, Paul explaining who Jesus is, right? What he's done, why he's done it, everything that he's done, what it means for us, the new birth, everything. 1 through 9 is, is systematic theology. This is who Jesus is. This is what he's done, everything else. And then, in chapter 10, he says, so what's this mean for the Jewish people? And here's the argument he makes, real simple. Because the Jewish people rejected Jesus, God poured himself out to all the Gentiles. And 2,000 years later, He's still pouring himself out to us Gentiles and bringing us to him in magnificent ways. Um, uh, Christianity in America may be declining as a, not an absolute stat, but as a relative stat. The population's growing faster than Christianity is. So it may be declining in America, but you do realize that there's parts of the world where it's just absolutely exploding. And it's, if you just take a globe and you just follow the globe around, God doesn't let them go into Asia and it goes into Europe and then it goes into the, uh, America and South America and down into Africa and then it goes across the sea and now it's, it's just blowing up in Asia and India in, in these populations in that eastern part of the world and pretty soon it's going to get around to where it's back to the Middle East and to my knowledge, that's when it all ends. When, it gets, when, the, when the globe spins all the way back around metaphorically to back, being back to Jerusalem. Now God has done something in all the world. He's let every single population experience him, for real. Not just hear about him because some Bible got translated and they heard a sermon. He's let every population come to revival and then decline. And when he gets all the way around the world with that, that's when he's done. Okay? And we're experiencing the decline now. But all of that is another sermon altogether. What we're talking about right here is something being hidden. And so Paul is explaining that the reason why the Gentiles have the Lord is because the Jewish people rejected him. Got it? Right? And so he says it this way. When he gets to the end of it, he says, but lest you get puffed up about yourselves so that you will not be conceited, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. Remember, we're talking about the word hidden. A partial hardening has come to Israel until the full numbers of the Gentiles has come in. So God is doing a plan. He's doing something on purpose, right? So we're going to focus in on a partial hardening because that sounds a lot like something being hidden, doesn't it? And so couldn't we say something like this? Couldn't we say, as the Calvinists do, we would say, you see what it is is, is that God hardens some hearts and he softens other ones. And so that's good Calvinism. And the problem with Calvinism is it's really true, and then it isn't. It's just not the full truth. Because, for example, and this is one way I can do this with you, but you can go to Corinthians where Paul's making the exact same argument. Here's what he says. Even to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. Okay, God put the veil there. God's the one that stopped them from being able to see it. Right? Right? So we can ask this question. What does it take to be able to understand? What does it take? Let me ask it a different way. Can we do anything to help us get to a place to where we can understand? Can we? Now, no, he just said surrender. Now watch. Watch what the next verse is. 
But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Here's what he's saying. If you push me away, I'll leave. <laughs> if you push me away, I, 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 you, I gave you free will. I'll honor your choice to push me away. And in you pushing me away, your heart will go hard. And am I the one that hardened it? Yeah, because, but in a sense, no. In other words, say it this way. And this is, we're going to go into the parables right now. And this is something that I, when I was in seminary, I wrote a paper. And the person that I, probably the greatest Christian I ever met in my entire life that I knew well was Rod Williams. And he was a professor at the school where I went. And I love this man with everything I had. And probably the, probably the comment that I ever got in my whole career of Christianity that means the very most to me is Rod Williams read my paper on this exact thing I'm talking about right now about what's the difference between somebody who gets it and somebody who doesn't and how it's not Calvinism, it's something else entirely. And he read it and he said, I've never seen this before. And he said, this is spectacular. So, now watch. Here's what he says about parables. Now watch this. The first line, Jesus is saying, he replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven but others are not. He's explaining why he uses parables. So that sounds pretty Calvinistic, right? That sounds like you're permitted to understand, but you're not. Sorry, no, you're not. Okay? Got it? Okay? But now watch. What's the next thing he says? To those who listen to my teaching... To those who want what I'm saying, I'll open their eyes. I'll bring them more understanding. To those who have, more will be given. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. They will have an abundance of knowledge. The kind of stuff that transcends everything the world could ever come up with that takes you and makes you realize there's a whole other field over there. See it? But for those who are not listening, if you refuse to listen... If you're not receiving it, if you don't believe it, if you don't want it, then even what little understanding they have is going to be taken away. And he's talking about the Jewish people. This is where the veil comes over. In fact, he says it. This is why I use parables. For they look, but they don't really see. And we could paraphrase it this way. They look, but they're not really trying to see. Or let me put it better. They look, but they look, with, they look for what they want to see. They look for how they interpret it, not how it actually is. They're not being humbled by the things that I'm doing and driven to a place. You know, there's a lot of things the Lord does that you don't get, right? And when that happens, we are faced with the same situation that Peter was and the disciples were when Jesus said to this big crowd that had followed him after he fed all these people and walked across water. And these people showed up and he said to them, you know, you're not here because of me. So let me tell you something. You got to eat my, drug, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And a whole bunch of them went, well, that sucks, and left. And then he turns to the disciples and says, where are you going to go? And Peter says, well, what you said is quite confusing. <laughs> Very hard to understand, and I don't like it. Paraphrased. But then he says, but where else am I going to go? You have all the truth. And then Jesus says, oh, oh, you want to hear what I have to say? Here, let me unlock this for you. Let me tell you what this is about and what happens. Okay? This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, even though I'm doing it plainly, even though I'm saying it plainly, he said to the disciples, I'm going to be killed seven days hence from now, and I'm going to rise again. doesn't say seven days, but I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to rise again three days later. He says it. They don't think it's true, they don't understand it, and they write it off. So they do not hear it. And even the disciples, in pushing away the truth, become hard-hearted. So if that happened to them, might this be something that we want to pay attention to? Is it possible for you to see Christianity and God and the kingdom and the things that God is asking through the eyes that you want to see them through and in so doing, close yourself off in a way that you actually become hard, hardened to what's true? Might this happen? The hearts of these people are hardened. Their ears cannot hear. They've closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see. 
Who closed their eyes? They did. Their ears cannot hear. Their hearts cannot understand. They cannot turn to me and let me heal them. Because they pushed me away and they have nothing in them that's saying, go to him. See it? This is what Paul is saying when he comes back to this whole argument at the end of chapter 11. One of my favorite passages in all scripture. There was a time not so long ago when you were on the outs with God because he had chosen the Jewish people and that's who he was with. But then the Jews slammed the door on God and things opened up for you. Now they are on the outs. But with the door held wide open for you, they have a way back in. And even this is the message. And what he's saying is, is the fact that God is now with you provokes him. He means it to provoke them to jealousy. How are they finding him? I can't. Now watch. In one way or another, God makes sure that all of us experience, come to know that we are outside all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. What would have happened if the Jews would have received Jesus? What would have happened? I have no idea. But you know what? It's, it's, it's a stupid thing to ask because we wouldn't. Because we didn't. Because we don't. Because that's who we are. And that's what God's trying to show. I walked with the Jewish people for thousands of years, and then I showed up and I stood right in front of them, and did they know who I was? No. <laughs> right? And the same thing happens to us because we're the same as they are. They weren't more special. They weren't different. They were just somebody that God picked to show us how we all are. And so what he's saying is, everybody has rejected me. And I am in mercy wanting. He longs to personally open the door and welcome us back in. Everybody has this disobedience in them. And he's saying, I can free you from it. You're in this ballpark, even as a Christian, you're in this ballpark and there's still disobedience. There still is not obedience. There still is not getting it. There still is all of these things. And I can deliver you from that if you want me to. If you will just hear what I'm saying and not let your ears be dull to hear enough so that you think you're good, so that you think you're okay. You see it? Is this cool? Because then Paul goes into this, this oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge, how impossible it is. Listen to that. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. This whole plan that we're laying out, it's impossible for us to get. Who knows enough to give him advice? Oh, no. Who, who, um, who can know the Lord's thoughts? Nobody. We just don't get them. We need to be revealed. Who knows enough to give him advice? Because everybody sure wants to. I think you should have saved that person. I think you should have done that thing. I can't understand. How can I believe in God if he's not going to do that thing that I think he should have done? <laughs> Who's his counselor? <laughs> Who's the one who knows better than he does? Who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back and do it your way? For from him and through him and to him are all things. For from him and through him and to him is everything. To him be the glory forever. To him be the glory forever. And in fact, so now we can ask this question, so what does it take to be able to understand? We've just answered part of it. There's always two things, right? There's always God in us. There's always God in us. And the us part we just learned about was you have to want to hear what he has to say. And if you don't understand it, you have to get down on your knees and, and just go deeper and deeper and deeper until he brings you revelation, until he brings you a miracle, until he brings you whatever it takes for you to get it. And then when you get it, it's like, oh my gosh, that is fantastic, <laughs> right? But you didn't get it cheap. You didn't get it while you were just casually flipping through your phone thinking about God every once in a while and oh, oh there it is, oh my gosh, right? It comes difficultly because then when you get the revelation, it's in there, you own it. So 
So what does it take to be able to understand? That's our part. We have to want what he's bringing us. And the second part is the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Now, the first part, he'll teach you everything. He'll teach you, he'll do what it takes for you to get to a place to where you start to realize that you're living, that you're acting, that you're being in the wrong field. That there's another field out there that he has. And you'll start to realize that you can't get there because you try and you can't get there. And finally you'll get to a place to where you start going, oh, I get it. Smart guy that I am took me, what, 60 years? I get it, only you can get me there. So I'm going to stand up and I'm going to be counted. And I'm going to say, get me there. I'm making a choice, free will choice. And I'm saying, I don't know what all it means. I don't know all it's going to take. What I do understand is there is a tower, and there is a, there is a point of having to count the cost of the tower, right? Don't just, build the, don't just start building a tower thinking it's all going to be easy. No. You're going to need to do something. You, you understand. Letting go of the things that you're holding on to, you're holding on to them for some reason. And letting go of them, the more close they are to your heart, the harder they go. Right? But when you finally get rid of them, you're free. Because he whom the sun sets free is free indeed. We have to be the people that do this, what Isaiah did. Do you remember, the first thing that happened was Isaiah sees the glory of the Lord in his, in his robe filling the temple. And what he, what's the first thing that he does? Oh, great, this is great. No, the first thing that he does when he sees actually who God's is, he falls down and he goes, I'm dead. <laughs> wow, this is so different than I thought. This is so much more than I understood. I am dead. But then the Lord says, oh, I'm sorry, did that go too? Did that go, too? what happened there? What, what's going on? Yeah, what happened? Take me back to, not that one, one more. Thank you. Can you send it back up there? Isaiah, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for me? And I said, I'm here, send me. Here I am, send me. That's what we did when we stood up. Here I am, send me. I understand it means something that I don't understand, but here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. And here's what I can tell you. When you say that, there is a test that God gave us to understand which field we're living in. And the test is, I assure you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Anybody in here doing greater works than Jesus yet? That means we're in the wrong field. Because when you get in the right field, there are, in fact, people on the world to, in the world today that are doing much more, that are fulfilling this word beautifully because they got out of the one field and they got into the other one and they're living in that field now gloriously spectacularly, miraculously, marvelously, wonderfully. And here's the truth about that. The vast majority of them you've never heard of and you never will. So here's what we're gonna do right now. In front of you, communion cups, two of them. Pick them both up. We're gonna do communion the same way we just did our prayer. I'm asking everybody this time, Close your eyes. We're going to take communion blind, okay? I want you to close your eyes, and then what I want you to do, I don't want you to think about what other people are doing, and if you do not want to stand up, it's okay. I love you. Nobody's judging you at all, not even a little bit, okay? We, we are understanding that there's a tower and a price to be counted, and if you're not there, if you're not ready for that, that's okay. Be honest before the Lord, because this isn't about anybody else looking at you. This is about you and him right now, you and him only, and what we're going to do is, is if you want to be communed with him, if you want to become one with him, communion with one, with union, if you want to be joined to him and made one with him, then what I want you to do is take communion. And I want you to stand up and take communion with him. Now, even if you're sitting down, you can still be, not just yet. Even if you're, I want to close eyes. This is not to embarrass anybody, but thank you. And thank you. But what I want you to do is, is I want you to take this. Again, keep your eyes closed the whole time that I'm doing this. So that, we do, so that this isn't about anybody else but you and God, right? And what I want us to do is I want you to say, even if you're not standing up, Lord, I want to be one with you. If I'm not ready to stand up yet, that's okay. 
Do we get it? Lord and Jesus, just everybody close your eyes. If you're on the stream, thank you, but close your eyes. Lord in Jesus' holy and precious name, we take this bottom cup and, and if you're ready to stand up, stand up. We take this bottom cup in which is the life that I have led that has kept me in the broken field, in the wrong field, in the other field, in the one that I knew in the world and that is still so full with the world. And in Jesus' holy and precious name, what I'm asking you for, God, what I'm saying right now, by putting my finger in here and breaking this, is I'm saying, I recognize that I'm the reason why I haven't gotten over there. Not anything you've done, but I have pushed you away. I have allowed my heart to become hard. I have interpreted what this all means so that it fits with what I want. And that in so doing, I broke my life. And I broke the glory that you have for me, the goodness that you have for me, the incredibleness that you have. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, I stand before you right now saying, I recognize that I broke that life, but I recognize even more that Jesus Christ went to the cross to pay for that, to heal me. By his stripes, I am healed. And so take this cup together. Thank you, Lord. And now we lift this other cup unto you, Lord. This one in which is this life that you have for us. And if you are here and you do not know the Lord, this is a spectacular moment for you to take a drink of living water, of life, of saying, I don't get all of this, but I'm not gonna push you away. I'm gonna look for you, I'm gonna receive you, I'm gonna ask you in. And so ask him in by taking in his life right now and for the rest of us that know him, we say, I recognize that you have a life for me that is quite different than the one that I know. But in Jesus' most glorious name, I want to live the life that you have. Take this cup together. Go ahead and sit down. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for that message. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of that message. Thank you for bringing us to culminating points on this culminating journey. In Jesus' holy and precious name, God, I ask you to take every person that was standing up and every person that was sitting down and whatever they were meeting you, wherever they were meeting you, I'm asking you, God, to see our choice and to bring it to pass as only you can. Help us to participate. Help us to understand where are we going to go but you. So take us and put us in the place. Put us in the new field. In Jesus' holy and precious name. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Ushers, thank you for coming forward.